The Lord be with you, everyone. And it is a, an extreme joy that we have to be sitting in front of our new cameras and in our new studio. Although, let me tell you that what you'll see today is only about 50% of what you will be seeing. So, just hang with us. Just let me talk at least on the camera today. And I want to share with you a scripture that uh, we don't often speak from this book, the Song of Solomon. And in chapter 2 and in verse 16, there's one phrase I want to imprint upon your hearts today. It is, my beloved is mine and I am his. Now, you've probably heard that expression before. Maybe you didn't know that it came from the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is a book where we certainly need the Holy Spirit to let us know what's really happening. And what is more important to us today, the Song of Solomon introduces to us the dimension of the love of God that takes it out of all the academia, mere formulas, dead doctrine, and makes it a living, real love, which comes into this phrase, my beloved is mine and I am his. And I think the phrase just standing by itself tells us everything that we would want to know. But what I want to emphasize obviously the word beloved, but also the words there, my beloved is mine and I am his. Now, notice that my, I, I know this is, it, it's one of the simplest words probably in the English language, yet maybe the most profound. And certainly in scripture, uh, phrases like this are throughout the entire Bible. Uh, and maybe we've never realized it before, so hear it. My, okay, my beloved is mine, and I am his, which is another phrase to say the same thing. My, mine, simplest words, and yet there you've got the very heart of the gospel. It is telling me, in fact, the true nature of the love of God to us and the love and God in which we live and move. So, what is this simple word that we can so easily gloss over? My, mine. What does it mean? I mean, truly, what does it mean? It's pretty obvious when you say it, but hear it. My, it indicates the possession of the speaker. Whoever says my or mine, we are indicating that which is our possession. Oh, okay, th this that I'm wearing here, this is my shirt. I mean, pretty obvious, but it, it means I didn't borrow this. I, I didn't grab it from one of the staff as I came in. Uh, this is mine. That is, it's a declaration of personal possession. It means my, mine, it means belonging. If I say something is mine, it belongs to me, which indicates ownership. It means that there is an invisible connection between me and that which I say is mine. 
And if we're speaking of persons, my daughter, my son, my wife, then this word indicates a relationship. And actually, as I'll reference in a moment, it means a covenant relationship, a binding relationship. If you are my friend, it means that you stand out from all other persons and neighbors and any other human being that passes through my life. You have the honor of being my friend. There's a relationship. You understand? There is something that binds us together. Uh, In fact, if I'm speaking uh, as is used in the scripture, it indicates an indissoluble union, one, absolutely one together to the point where it means we participate the one in the other. And that really, you could say that of inanimate objects. If I speak of my billfold, it means that on a basis of almost every other hour of the day, I am participating in the existence of my billfold. I'm taking it out, I'm using it, and what is inside is uniquely mine. And so there's this use and participation together. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. It is a word, and it comes out in that phrase strongly, where there's a finality to it. It's beyond debate. If I say that Nancy is my wife, that doesn't mean that's up for debate. It is a statement of final and absolute fact. Done. Finished. Over. There was a time when that was declared and it remains is so, right? It's in that my beloved is mine. It's a statement of done. But it also locks in the identity of the speaker. It's not only saying that uh, this is mine or I have this my relationship to this person, but rather than having said that, It gives me an identity that you might not have been aware of before. If I say that 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 man there is my father, then I'm not only identifying that as my father, but I'm also indicating then I am his son. You understand, in saying anything is mine, I'm also saying something about me. If I say that Nancy is my wife, then it means that my identity is that of husband. You you understand this, this little word, my, mine, opens up a lot of understandings of our relationship. My beloved is mine. When I say something is mine, if I underscore it with my, then I've also marked a boundary. It means this is mine. And in it, there's a, what can I say, almost a hidden threat. You know, if this shirt is mine, it means keep your hands off. It means, it means this is mine. It's not yours. And it means then there is a a boundary, that there's a mark, though it be invisible, it's understood. If that's my car, get your hands off it, unless you have my permission, right? As soon as we say my or mine, it means that that person or that object is protected. If it is my 
wallet, it's my billfold, then I am going to protect that. You're not going to get your hands on it unless with my permission, right? That's all in this word, my and mine. Very interestingly, if you go back as to where this word came from, and you know I I love to do that, um, if you go back into Old English and also certainly into Old European, where this word my or mine came into our language, it had the idea and the meaning attached to it of I see you. Now... I've told you before, I'm sure, that when I was with the Zulu people in Africa, I I had to get used to that idea. They they would come up behind you in the bush. Uh, There's nothing quieter than an African coming up behind you. And you you suddenly hear a voice in your ear saying, I see you, Malcolm. And, and, And the idea, as I got to find out what they meant by it, was... That, that you have substance to, to me. You matter to me. I, I see you. you. You are part of my outlook on life, and, and I cannot define the rest of life without you because I see you. You are part of my horizon. You're part of my now. You, you are one with my existence. I see you. I like that. And that's uh, where this word originally, deep back, Uh, meant and sort of came from. Do do you realize what I've just said? Um, This definition of the word, it it is saying here, as as every commentator will agree, that this, this is the word the believer. You and I, we are saying this to God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We are saying, my beloved is mine. We are describing in this little phrase the most amazing relationship that we can ever talk about. It is saying that not only does God possess me, but also I, a human, can say of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine. Good grief, what is it saying here? It is speaking of an ownership. It is speaking of a belonging. I belong to the Holy Trinity. And in a way that's beyond our words, he belongs to us by his own gifting to us. That there is a relationship. There is a union. It is a union so strong it is spoken of in the New Testament as being the one inside the other. And it is originated in God. This was God's idea. It is his word to begin with. And therefore, it's as strong and as long-lasting as God. My beloved is mine and I am his That's beyond debate. That's a finality that finds its origin in the heart of God. It means he is my Father. It is my Jesus, my Holy Spirit. And I can say that because he began it by saying, you are my Malcolm, you see. Now, uh, this is the amazing 
You, you cannot read the Bible without learning how to be astonished. And, and, and if you're, you're not astonished at the gospel, though you be in Christ as long as I have, then um, it's time for a serious calling on the Holy Spirit to open your inside hearts. You see, this word, my and mine, tells me it's got nothing to do with knowing about. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious when you when you look at this. Here is the the beloved believer saying of God, "You are mine." Now that that's far beyond uh, hearing a rumor about relationship with God. Far beyond that. Far far beyond that. This is not academic knowing. This isn't going to any theological seminary or school in order to get straight A's. It's got nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. This is a heart matter where I know that I belong. And in again, and I find it hard to say the words because it's too great, it's too amazing that he has given himself to us that we might say, you are mine. We belong. This is, this is the most intimate, the most personal expression of love that one could have. And, and could I say this, and um, you know, maybe you have to think about this, but this is infinitely more than, than believing in. You know, people say, do you believe in God? And I've often just for... <laughs> I mean, I, I could say yes, and they'd go on their way. But I, I often just like to say, no, I don't believe in God. I know him. Do you know the difference? It, it's as if someone came to me and said, do you believe in your mother? Well, that's a daft question. No, I know my mother. That's very different. And that's what this is. This isn't saying I know about God. It doesn't say I've studied God in theological seminary, nor does it say I believe in God. It says I know him, and I know that he knows me. And inside that knowing, that most personal knowledge by experience and observation, he says of me that I am his and he's put it into me through his spirit to say of him, he is mine. So th this introduces us to God at this, this most intimate level that he is love. He is limitless person who comes to us little persons and doesn't just say, I love you, but he says, I love you and therefore you are mine. And says of himself, I am yours. So, you know, it's, it's not enough then to say higher power. And I, I'm, I'm sure you, you don't. But let, let's just get it straight that we're, we're not speaking about some impersonal deity. It's not just looking up into the atmosphere and saying, God Almighty. Nor is it that expression that you hear so often, even among uh, would-be Christians, where, where they say the man upstairs. No, all of that, you see, this faceless, this unpredictable almightiness in the sky. No, no, no. This isn't a faceless deity. This isn't a God who's up for debate. This isn't even a matter that's subject to logic and reason. When was love ever 
anything to do with logic and reason. This is a heart matter. You, you understand, you can't say, my beloved is mine and I am his. You can't say that from a debate in your head. It comes from your heart. Nor is it a formula or, 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 or a dead theology by which I mean this, yeah, this to me is one of the greatest dangers uh, of this 21st century where you, you meet persons and th- those, those persons, even ministries, who I-, I could say amen to most much of what they're saying, but they say it as a formula. And I, I, in the formula, then you, you lose this passionate, throbbing love and relationship that is indicated in this phrase. So, so it's not a matter of drawing a diagram and, and giving the, the equation at the bottom that if you do this and you do that and God does this and equals a better life. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, and if you think I'm being a little fanatic, fanatical there, well, maybe I am. Because you, you speak to some of these dear people, and I say, yes, I, I do believe that. And yet you, you hear in their voice there is an emptiness, a deadness. And, and they know it too. And they, they're trying to ask, what is the difference that we believe the same thing and yet something's wrong here? Yes, because it's not about a formula. It's not about getting all your ducks in a row. It is that God is limitlessly loving you and puts his arms around you and says, you are mine, and calls us through the Holy Spirit to put our arms around him and say, you are ours, mine. Big difference, big difference. My beloved. Now, now there's a word we don't use that much in English anymore. Um, It's a very old English word, and you could say it, it would mean one that is dearly loved. It would mean one who is greatly loved. Um, it, it, would, it would be the extreme expression of you're the apple of my eye, you're the darling of my heart. You, you get the picture? It, it's, it is saying you are loved. It, it means that, especially if we're using... God love as a word, but it's just got that extra to it. My beloved, the the one who bees my love, be loved. And it's speaking of this one here, my beloved is mine. You see, when we come to the belovedness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, That is not, hear me very carefully here, that's not because I have a feeling toward the holy them of beloved. That is certainly involved. But God is beloved whether I think so or not. He is not beloved because someone thinks he is. He's not beloved because he is so in the opinion of his people. God is beloved in himself. It's another way of saying God is love. 
but maybe this underscores it with a purple pen and, and tells us that, that he is belovedness, all that is involved in a love, giving oneself away to a love who in turn gives away themselves in love. God is that, is that. This word uh, takes away the whole idea that he is uh, remote God Almighty. And you know, so much religious art pictures God as remote and almost arrogant in face, but certainly unapproachable. And and the idea of God Almighty somehow fits on the mouths, even in the prayers of some people. But no, please, come, come back, come back. He is God the Beloved. And whenever one might think of his being the Almighty, it should be said within this belovedness. He's the beloved Almighty. This is who he is. It's who he is. It's not something he is sometimes. It's not uh, sometimes it sweeps over him and, and you say, you know, my beloved. No, this is who God is. It's the intensity of love. It is love taken to the nth degree. The much loved, the dearly loved, the intimately personal loved. And you say, as we've discussed before, this is what Christians believe in terms of the Holy Trinity. For the Father, God the Father looks at God the Son and calls him beloved, even as the Son sees the Father as the beloved. And the Holy Spirit is the song of beloved God within himself, is the beloved. But can you hear this? He so loved us. It's John 3.16, but that's one of those verses we've quoted so often that sometimes we don't hear it, that John 16, for God so loved the world. That is, so loved. Did you notice that right there? See, he doesn't say just loved. God so loved, you're you're coming into this word, beloved. He called us, the world. Please understand that. Now, he didn't say God so loved the church. That comes in other places. But here, it's the world, this chaotic, corrupt, this place of hostility toward God, the world. God so loved the world and so loved. He's calling us his beloved, But this, again, I'm feeling speechless at certain points here. Um, So love the world. And I I must ask, what does that look like? How can I define that? So it says, God so loved the world that. So now he's going to tell us what so loved means. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten which is another way of saying beloved to the nth degree. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That means there's an an equivalency here that so loved the world equals the beloved son being given. It means the love of the father to the son is the love of the father to you. 
You are his beloved. You are much loved. You are dearly loved. You are intimately, personally loved of the Father. And the Son, Jesus, in his coming freely to restore your position. And the Holy Spirit who freely comes to open our eyes. Huh. What, what a thought. You are dearly loved. Go, th- go through your New Testament. We don't have time right now, but if you go through the New Testament on this word beloved, see how many times believers such as you are called beloved in the New Testament. Amazing. You see, you were created. We all were created from this God who is belovedness. We were created from love to be his beloved. That, that's the only reason for creation. That's the only reason and meaning to life that we were fashioned, created by the very mind, imagination, heart, and hands of God to be his beloved children and to live life inside that belovedness much-loved children through the Holy Spirit. Put it another way, you and I were created to be the love possession of the Holy Trinity, and in that relationship, given divine permission, called to say of Him, you are my beloved, and to, uh, to respond to that with love, which translates into I trust you. To, to walk in line with his love plans and purposes and surprises for us, which is called obedience. Okay, put it this way. Sin. Sin is breaking that relationship with the beloved. Or you could say sin is the blindness in believing the satanic lie, so we become blind to the fact of our own belovedness. So we lose sight completely. And this isn't just a fog. This means a deep, impenetrable darkness. We cannot see that God is love, that God is the beloved We cannot see it. And in the darkness, Satan has injected all manner of foul imaginations as to what God is like. And never, none of them are that he is the beloved, the lover. And we're in that same impenetrable blindness. We cannot see that we are the beloved. Rather, we are those who... Now are the enemies of God. We, we are hostile to God and we are inventing futile and false meanings to our being alive. Now, you've got to hear this. God is not changed by his beloved humans to being lost. 
lost, by which I mean going around in circles in the darkness, not knowing who they are, why they are, where they came from, or where they're going. The fact that I became an enemy of God, hostile to his purpose, making up my own life as I went along, does not change one iota God's belovedness or his love for me and calling me his beloved. Did did you get that? That is right at the heart of this. We are his beloved whether we know it or not. We are his beloved whether we want it or not, like it or not. We are. He doesn't stop loving us because we refuse to respond in love, trust, and obedience to him. You find that shocking, you say. Among humans, and this is neither good nor bad, it's simply a fact, if, if I love someone and they do not respond to my love, it's declared sort of over. Well, they don't want me, they've gone on their way. But with God, or could I say this, um, if I reject God's love, even if I do so in ignorance, God's love does not change toward me. God owns his love. And that, it therefore, is not changed by my response of good or bad. You get it? God doesn't love you because you deemed it in your head to get right with God and love Him. God loves you because God is love and He created you to love you and nothing stops that. He says of you, wherever you are in life, whatever you think in life, He says you are mine. You're mine, whether you like it or not. Now there's quite a statement. Because there are many believers who have the idea that God began to love them when they got their act together. And when they repented properly and believed properly, then God saw fit to love them. No. Our faith is a response to what we've been awakened to see. He loves me. And I dare to believe that. But he he loves me from before time. And sin didn't upset that. God just kept on loving us and in that love determining to achieve his love end. It's the way it is. It's a committed relationship. My beloved is mine and I am his. That's it. That's it. You don't debate it. This is where he's at. You see... You're not a borrowed shirt, you understand? You belong to God. So you got lost. So they dropped you in a sewer and, and you're filthy. Now, but that doesn't change it. You're still his. Whatever, wherever this shirt goes, it's my shirt, you see. Wherever you find yourself in all the darkness, corruption maybe, of where Satan has led you with his lies, it doesn't change anything. He is, Jesus, God among us, is committed to never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, he has named himself in Scripture. Remember, uh, he calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, 
God names himself along with and almost identifies himself with the names, the names, lives of human beings. And I look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I tell you that if you're looking at behavior, I haven't got a clue how God could ever identify himself with them. But he has, and he identifies with you. He won't leave you. He's committed to you. He refuses to be God without you. And that's why this phrase is a covenant phrase. Covenant, which we've talked about many times. It is the covenant, the language of covenant. When two parties enter into covenant, then they can say of each other, my and mine. We might use it a little sloppily today. If someone is on Facebook with you, say they're my friend, which I... Within the world of Facebook, I guess that, that's so. But in, in covenant language, it means that this person has given themselves to me in total. And I have given myself to them. And therefore, almost with awe and wonder, we use the term of each other, my and mine. Because we recognize this is a sacred exchange. My and mine. We've been... We are bound to each other, bound. And, and, and the, the ropes that hold us together are covenant, and the name of the ropes are mine and my. You remember when, when he, he spoke of his ancient people in Exodus chapter 19, he said that, that you are a people of my own possession, which is a very interesting phrase throughout the Old Testament. It means my treasure. It, it, it's translated in one place as my, my diamonds, my jewels, my own possession. And as I've told you before, it could even be translated my pocket money. That That is, I, I, I use the rest of the world. I'm God of all the world, but are you, you're my treasure. You're my special people. And then, of course, all through the Old Testament, you get the expression, I will be your God. You shall be my people. That, that is, what can I say? It, it is where the heart of God is. He refuses to be known in any other way. There's nothing you know about God that is not revealed in his dealings with us. See, you can't go, this is the fact, you can't go to a theological seminary or Bible school and learn about God, you know, as, as you might learn about the stars. I, God's not just an abstract idea. He, he's not something that you learn about and file it away under G and go and have breakfast. It's no, everything you can ever study about God in the Scripture is His relationship to us. That's the only way we know God, is how He relates to us. He'll never let you go. He won't ever give up on you. And the Old Testament is a book that strains toward the fulfillment of this my and mine you could say he, God refuses to rest. He is working in mankind to bring about a union, a relationship 
We're from both sides. You are mine. You are mine. What? In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 6.16, it it quotes from the Old Testament, but now focuses on us. It says, we are the temple of the living God. That is, we are the place where God himself dwells within us, the temple of the living God. Just as God said, now he quotes from the Old Testament, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. This Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sums up the Old Testament and says this is what he was after. And how does he accomplish it? Here again, hear me carefully. God, the Son, sent in the love of the Father, became human, became flesh. And so we have a human, a genuine, authentic human, but that human is God, does he never cease to be God. And therefore, we're going to see human as human was always meant to be, as we were created to be. And Jesus is the first human to truly know and dwell fully in my and mine. Yes, you heard me right. Jesus is the first authentic human to heart know and fully live in this You are mine. I am yours. My, mine. Jesus and his relationship to God the Father, that's what we were made for. And Jesus comes and lives it. And right there at the River Jordan, when Jesus is baptized, do you remember God the Father spoke out from the heavens and says, you are my beloved You are my beloved Son, in whom my soul delights. And at that selfsame moment, visibly, the Holy Spirit came and filled and overflowed and cloaked Jesus, as if the Word spoken from the Father into human, my beloved, is the Holy Spirit making that real. And that was so when God became flesh and lived among us. And Jesus called the Father, not God Almighty, but my Daddy. Or in the language he spoke, my Abba, Abba, which we have translated as Father, but really, although it is, that's the meaning of the word, but it's more our term, Daddy, though it carries with it an awe and respect, but still it's the first word a little child will say, Abba, 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 Daddy. Jesus knew his belovedness, and he knew the Father is beloved, and therefore it's my Daddy, a relationship, a connection. My. And when Jesus goes to the cross, in fact, his whole life, 
He has come to restore you and I to that belovedness relationship for which we were created. And he explains this in the parables of Luke 15. Do you remember? I know you, you just might have overlooked this. It's very easy. But the shepherd, do you remember the three parables? The shepherd lost his sheep and the coin was lost by the woman and the father's son is lost in the far country. Okay, now in those three parables, you have when, when the shepherd finds the sheep, and he puts it around his neck, which is speaking of in tremendous intimacy. I mean, the head of the sheep is right there on his shoulder, and, and, and he's speaking to the sheep. Uh, and, and as they come out of the wilderness, the sheep having been found, do you remember what the shepherd said? I have found my sheep, which was lost. Yeah, maybe you missed that, you see. He, he's saying complete ownership of the sheep. One has to ask the question of those parables, why would the shepherd go and actually give his life, give his life in exchange for the sheep? Because that's what he does. He goes into the perils of the wilderness to share that peril with the sheep in order to one with the sheep and return it home. Why does he do that? Because it's his sheep. It's his sheep. He's not going looking for wild animals. He's not on a trek looking for some wild sheep that he can capture and carry home. No, he says, my sheep is lost. I am going to find my sheep and bring my sheep home. That is, so the sheep is lost. It's wandered. It's defied the shepherd. Doesn't change it. It's still his sheep. And that's why he's coming to find it. Jesus came to find you and I, lay hold upon us in the depth of that impenetrable darkness that only God himself could get through. And he came to where we are, and he took us in the most intimate oneness, union, to carry us home to the Father. Same with the, the, the woman when she found the coin that had rolled away into the dirt and she'd gone into the dirt under the sofa behind the cabinets and looking for the sh down in the dirt and darkness. And then she says, I have found my coin, which was lost. And again, the same question. Why would she turn the whole house out? Because it was her coin. And there was some relationship between her and that coin. And of course, supremely, the, the son, prodigal son, comes home and, and the father goes to meet him. And, and the son begins to tell the father that he's no longer his son. He screwed the whole thing up. He's out of the picture now. Just make me one of your slaves. And, and the father responds, this is my son. Even though he stood before him in the rags of the far country, smelling like the pigs he'd lived with, and his face gaunt, his eyes bloodshot, lack of food, lack of civilization in his body, and his hair matted, and the father crushes him to his chest, and he says, you are my son. You get this my thing? Sin didn't change it. Rather, God came where we are, he came into our lostness. And he says, you are mine in creation. 
I made you for me. But now that my is going to be placed in infinitely higher notch, shall I say, because now the my is not simply by creation, but it's that costly seeking through the bloodshed of Jesus, the finding of us and carrying us out in his resurrection and ascension. The Holy Spirit is given to us. That's why you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit came to you with this good news. And the Holy Spirit, can I put it this way? The Holy Spirit is that divine my. You see, that relationship that we have with God all in and through Jesus, it's not just a word. That my it is actually God, the Holy Spirit, coming into us. The God saying of you, my, mine, that's the Holy Spirit coming in. And he's, he's the my, he's the mine witnessing inside of you, which is not academic learning. It is in your heart. He's mine. And, and, and we come in to that relationship through the Holy Spirit. This is you that I'm speaking of. Um, we, we participate with Jesus in, in his saying to the Father, Abba, Abba. And we, we do the same. We, we, we say, Abba, Father. We, we do the same. We, we know we are his beloved and the Holy Spirit within us urges us to say, you are mine and I am yours. I tell you, this is the very heart of this, this good news. It's the ultimate resting in, in God's love. Don't you see that? Just right now, as, as you bypass your brain, which is continually uh, listening to Satan's accusations and thinking they're its own great mighty thoughts, uh, dismiss your brain. Yeah, it chatters on, chatters on. No, come on, come deeper into your core being, your, your spirit, your very heart. And out of there, you say you are the beloved of God and God calls you his own and he introduces himself to you as your beloved. My beloved is mine and I am his. There's rest. I mean, that's, that's not saying... He'll be my beloved when I get my act together. It's not when you've fasted and prayed for 40 days, you say. It's not after you've understood the whole Bible. It's not after you've become understood as a very pious person. It means just little you sitting there listening to what I'm saying. You are what this text is talking about. I mean, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Therein is the ultimate statement of safety, rest, or negative view, because of the freedom from all anxiety and worry. I mean, it's in this refuge, there's no possibility of fear. I am my beloved, my beloved is mine. Come on, what can, what can attack that relationship? What can get inside and upset that? What happens to you 
and I mean on the daily mundane in the kitchen office basis, what happens to you is happening to Father and Son and Holy Spirit because you are locked in together. You're one together. This is knowing beyond a question. It's it's knowing beyond debate, and debate only happens in your head. I'm speaking of your heart, the ultimate contentment, the ultimate joy. This is resting beyond all struggles of trying to keep the law. This is recognizing he did it for me and as me and carried me into the presence of the Father. (laughs) I'm his. I, I belong. I, I'm not a homeless human where where I really don't know where I came from. I certainly don't know where I'm going and I don't know why I'm here. And I sit on the pavement of life even though I might have a million dollars in my bank account. I feel homeless. I don't know where I belong. Well, I tell you, you belong inside the God love that has never quit loving you. The Beloved calls you Beloved and calls you to dare to look up to Him and say, you are mine, I am yours. This belonging, this knowing that you have worth, not because of something you've done or achieved, but because the God who made you has bestowed His love upon you, which gives you infinite worth. This is who you are. This is the reason for your existence. It's an immovable rest because it originates in Him. He first loved us, says the Scripture. Therefore, ours is the response to that. It's not something, I'm not trying to get God's attention. No, the Bible says that He's the one who's been seeking to get your attention ever since you've been on earth. That's the way it is. And so now the Scripture describes us as in Christ. I mean, when one is inside the... Let me put it this way. If I have a glass of water and I say that there's water in the glass, that's one thing. But if I then took that glass of water and put it inside a container of water, so now the water's in the glass and the glass is in the water... There you have complete, total union. That's you. Jesus, God, became human, joining into you and then carried you into the same relationship to the Father that He enjoys. You are in Christ and Christ is in you and Christ is in the Father and the Father's in Christ and you are gloriously lost inside this incredible love of God. Let, let me read to you from John 17. It's, it's part of the last prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to his sufferings in verse 21. And he's speaking, if we had time to look at it, speaking specifically of you and I. He actually says, I'm not praying only for these, that's the apostles in front of him, but for all those who shall believe because of them. And he says that they, so this is you he's speaking about, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, 
art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us. Don't read that too quickly. They may be one. What does that one talk about or look like? Even as you, Father, are in me, in Jesus, and I, Jesus, in you, that they also, you, also may be in us, Father and Son, that the world may believe that you did send me, that the glory which you have given to me, I've given to them, the glory the glory of being the beloved of God has been given to you, that they may be one, just as we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. That the world may know that you sent me and did love them, that's you. Father, did love them even as you, Father, does love me. And I desire that all these people I'm talking about, these that have given me, be with me where I am. I mean, you can't, we're not talking about heaven here, we're talking about right now, in your kitchen, your bedroom, your office, right now, that he says... Father and Son, now you included, and his only desire is that you know that you are where he is. Huh. That the love with which you did love me, said Jesus of the Father, may be in them and I in them. I mean, you have to read that very slowly because you almost trip over those ins. But the whole message is that as the Father loved Jesus, so now He loves us, and we are in Jesus, and Jesus in the Father. Look, you live inside the, yes, I'll say passionate, joy-filled, delight-filled embrace of the Father, because you are in Jesus Christ. And that was all the plan and purpose of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. Out of, out of that, out of all these arms around you, you say, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. I mean, that, that's the way it is. Well, and I, and I might say that the, the Hebrew words here would uh, almost put it, my, my beloved is fully mine. There's a sense of fullness there. The, all, all that he is is mine. All that God is, is yours. All that Jesus won when he rose from the dead is yours. It is the final fulfillment of what David said in the Psalms. The Lord is my. That is, everything that God is, is mine now to face life. Right in this intense moment. Well, there it is, sort of. There's more to it. You see, this, let me throw this in very quickly. This is an announcement. That this is not only something said between the beloved and the beloved. If you read the whole chapter, you get the drift of it. This is an announcement to listeners. Other people are listening to this that is being said. That is, the beloved is announcing 
that my beloved is mine and I am his and everybody out there, you should know that. You should be aware of it. I'm proud of that. I'm boasting of it. You know, when, when you get the engagement ring and you go into the office and you're, you're going out of your way to show it to everybody, whether they want to see it or not, you're, you're boasting of this very fact. It's quite a thought. This fact is going to change your whole life. To know that you are the beloved of God, I repeat, changes your entire life. It carries away all sorrow and sighing and anxiety shall flee away, says the prophet Isaiah, speaking of you. Instead, everlasting joy shall be upon your head. Imagine a life like that. But from the heart of this relationship, the peace of God that passes all human comprehension. Imagine a life like that. To be able to look out onto life as you wake up in the morning, that you are in relationship with the God who thus passionately loves you, nothing can shake that, and you're going to live your life and do your work in the factory, digging roads, doing your attorney stuff, doing your housewife and mother stuff, well, wherever. You're doing it as the much-loved person the dearly beloved and the one who has access to all the strength and the wisdom and the know-how that the Father only just waits and delights to give you. Quite a thought. Changing life. Announcement. This This is not a private love affair. This is going to change the whole outlook on life. And also, I, I couldn't stop without saying changes the way you look at your neighbor. Because if you've heard what I've said, that neighbor of yours who doesn't have a clue what you and I are now talking about, but they are the beloved of the Father. So you don't look at them with a sneer and you don't look down at them. You look at them with compassion and you send them smiles of God's love and you are, in fact, the closest thing they'll get to the love of God. The Holy Spirit in you, upon you, through you. That's what witnessing is. It's not giving out tracts that condemn. It is just being the love of God in the midst of this world and seeing people and talking to them as God sees them and talks to them. Well, there it is. And I trust that this will be a blessing to you as we start a new cycles of webinars with all our new equipment and where this is going to take us. So now, the blessing of God who is almighty love, the God who is beloved, may His blessing now rest upon you. The blessing of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit penetrate Infuse your entire life that you shall awaken to his love. Dwell in that love and be the means of that love to the world. So I bless you. And that's the way it is.